This is True News, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us God. Today's Thursday, January 18th, 2024. I'm Rick Wiles. The West is running low on ammo to donate to Ukraine. At the same time, the West is also ramping up for an all-out war with Russia that could start as early as this year or early 2025. Meanwhile, Pakistani missiles hit Iranian targets last night in another escalation of World War III. Let's start with Ukraine begging for bullets. Yes. Story is from France 24. Ukraine warns ammunition low as allies launch artillery coalition at Paris talks. Right. And this is coming from uh, the defense minister, Rustam Imarov. He said a shortage of ammunition is very real and a pressing problem that our armed forces are facing at present. Uh, that's uh, Defense Minister Restrom uh, Umarov. He said that the artillery coalition is aimed at solving this issue, he said. Now, a 23-nation effort, the coalition is part of the so-called Ramstein Contact Group, which gathers more than 50 countries currently supporting Ukraine. French Defense Minister Sebastien Lecourneau hosted Thursday's event, saying France would cover the cost of 12 new guns out of 78 it could manufacture this year said that with modern Western guns using 155-millimeter shells rather than the 122-millimeter ammunition of Soviet artillery, supply has become a critical issue. The European Union has promised to deliver 1 million shells by spring of this year, but European Parliament lawmakers say only 300,000 of those have been delivered so far, Rick. Uh, French Senate report published Wednesday said Paris and other European governments were not up to the challenge of meeting Ukraine's ammunition requirements, calling on Kiev's allies to step up a gear. Senate Foreign Relations uh, Affairs Committee Chief Cedric Perrin in France said Ukraine was burning through five to 8,000 shells a day compared with up to 15,000 on the Russian side. France's defense ministry said Wednesday that its artillery ammunition output since Russia's February 22 invasion of Ukraine was expected to triple to a planned monthly rate of 3000 this year. The industry is getting hold of supplies of gunpowder again. We're recycling powder from old ammunition. That's scary just in itself that was never used, according to told reporters. So the recycling gunpowder. <laughs> old ammunition. That can't be a good thing because gunpowder can go bad. Well, so. just the, the fact that they're in such desperate need that they're recycling old gunpowder. Right. Um there, there is a global gunpowder shortage, and it is affecting the United States of America. It's affecting sportsmen. Right. And ammo prices are climbing dramatically this month, and there are shortages. Uh, you guys who, who stockpiled ammo many years ago and continued to replenish and, and to build up your, your, your stockpile, uh, you ought to be very glad that you did it, because here we are in World War III, and the average person is not going to be able to buy ammo soon. Right. Just, just contemplate that, Doc. Possibly by the end of this year, you and I may not be able to buy ammo, simply because there is no ammo available for the general public. Right. It's all going to go to military purposes. Well, I guess in this particular article, it stands out to me, Rick, is that just a, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, we were talking about 
ammunition shortages all over Europe, and yet they're still doubling down on providing ammunition to Ukraine. They're, they're robbing their own stockpiles, yes. ramping up production when their own ammunition supplies are low, but they've got to make sure that Ukraine has all the ammunition so all the Ukrainian men and now women can get killed in the line of fire. Well, at the same time, ramping up for all-out war with Russia. Yes. It is total insanity what is taking place right now. Uh, RT, world not producing enough weapons to beat Russia, says Zelensky in Davos. Yes. So, <laughs> Zelensky went to Davos, told the World Economic Forum delegates, pointed his finger at him and said, you guys aren't making enough bullets for me. Right. Get with it. That's right. So. I'm, I'm your boy. I'm fighting the Russians, and I need more ammo. Right. And so he scolded them and said, you got to step it up. We need more guns. We need more tanks. We need everything. And he's saying there's not enough world production just to supply Ukraine. Right, just not, Ukraine. Not, not the needs of the rest of the European Union or anybody else. Just Ukraine. Which tells you, Doc, how much the Russians have destroyed. Yes, and can continue to destroy because they can, they, they're at maximum output. You, know, you saw yeah. the numbers that they were talking about. Well, the, the West can only produce about three to 5,000 per mm -hmm. week. Uh, you know, uh, the Russians are pr producing 15,000 artillery shells mm -hmm. per week. So they're outproducing the West, which to me is a surprise. But uh, but still, they're able to do it. But so the, the Russian military is is destroying a, a vast portion of the Ukrainian military supply that the West has donated. Right. And the West says we're just going to send more. It's being blown up. It's being destroyed by the Russians. And so the solution is send more. Well, there might be a reason they're doing that, too, and not just to fight Russia. But uh, Zelensky was at Davos, and he said that the combined output of the entire world's military-industrial complex— The entire world? The entire world's military-industrial complex isn't enough to maintain Kiev's fight against Russia. That's coming from Vladimir uh, Zelensky. Okay. I, the, I, the entire world can't, can't supply enough ammo and artillery shells, Rick. They want you to believe that the Ukrainian military is so successful that they they are just shooting so many Russians that they can't get bullets fast enough to shoot them. That's the image that they want you to have. And there isn't enough material output in the entire world to do it, Rick. I think he's, he's probably correct, Doc. The, what's really happening is that the Russians are destroying yes. everything the West is sending to Ukraine. Absolutely. The Russians are looking at it. Well, we got another uh, target. We got, another, we got something else to practice our, our, our shooting. They, they, they just sent in more tanks. They sent in more jets. Let's blow them up. They're blowing up ammo depots. The Russians are just wiping out everything that the West is sending to Ukraine. And Zelensky is saying the entire world is not able to replenish what the Russians have destroyed. <laughs> that if you put it in that perspective, then you see the madness of this entire strategy. Well, he said there is no sufficient production volume in the world today, as in the case of artillery, that is sufficient for the Ukrainian army to withstand the war with Russia. He added that even one million drones, he said Ukraine would produce in 2024, 
would not be enough to prevail. Nevertheless, Mr. Zelensky went on to say that the U.S. and its allies must continue supplying Kiev with munitions, explaining that without foreign weapons, Ukraine would be weak on the battlefield, would have a big artillery deficit, and would not be able to repel ballistic missile attacks, which he said would eventually result in a big crisis for all of Europe. And uh, his remarks come on the heels of Ukrainian Strategic Industries Minister Alexander Komishin stating last week that no matter how much no matter how much it boosts production, the country will never be able to fully recover its military needs on its own. He said, our needs today are greater than the needs of the total. Listen to this. Our needs today are greater than the needs of the total production of the U.S. and the EU combined. If, if that's accurate, Doc, it is so staggering to consider how much military hardware Ukraine is consuming and the Russians are destroying. And the Russians are outproducing, and the out- too. And the Russians are outproducing. So what, what have we done with Russia now? What, what have we, we made we, them stronger. Yes. This whole thing has made Russia stronger, more efficient. They're in total war mode now. Putin said that two years ago. He said the sanctions have, have not hurt us. They've made us stronger. They've made us think, how do we get around the sanctions how do we how do we succeed with these burdens put on us and the same thing is happening with the war it it, it simply made russia go into full war mode right and and because they believe that their their survival is at stake the russians know nato's coming they know it so the russians are preparing for this all out war because they're convinced that, that it's going to happen. Where NATO is at is they're done with Ukraine. Yes. Ukraine has, has failed in the mission. They hoped the plan was to bleed out Russia economically, militarily, financially. It, it's manpower. Just bleed them out. It didn't work. It's hurt them, but it didn't work. But it, what it's happened, it's made them more efficient, more efficient militarily, more efficient in production. They've abandoned SWIFT. Uh, and they, so now they've got an alternative financial system. I mean, they were really embedded with SWIFT just a year ago, and now they're out of it. What have we done? What has the West done? They've created the new Russia. Yes. And look at Germany. Germany's uh, economy receded last year it's gotten smaller why the german economy it used to be one of the best and now it's actually getting smaller because the u.s blew up the The pipeline. pipeline yes the russians were gladly selling fuel to the germans and the germans were gladly buying it and helping to build the pipeline and everybody in europe was prospering but the warmongers said, we can't let this continue. we got to blow up the pipeline. We've got to get World War III going. And, and so everybody's being hurt but the Russians. The Russians are actually becoming stronger out of all this. Their economic system stronger. They've broken off from the Western banking system. They've, uh, their status has risen among uh, other nations, especially in Africa and the Middle East. I mean, w- we've created the new Russia. We've now, got, a, uh, we've got a, a, a clip of Zelensky at the World Economic Forum uh, 
uh, begging for begging for bullets. He's got his little tin cup out there begging for bullets, going around to the billionaires saying, please, please donate to Ukraine. We need more bullets. Let's watch. Thank you so much. If anyone thinks this is only about us, this is only about Ukraine, they are fundamentally mistaken. Possible directions and even timeline of a new Russian aggression beyond Ukraine become more and more obvious. Let me ask very honestly, which European nation today can provide a combat-ready army on par with ours, holding back Russia? And how many men and women are your nation ready to send to defend another state, another, another nation? And if one must fight against Putin together in the years ahead, isn't it better to put an end to him and his war strategy now, while our brave men and women are already doing it. They are the world's champs. They are. Not champs, they're chumps, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get right down to it. But he did ask a good question, Rick. He asked the, qu- the question, what nation in Europe could stand up to Russia right now? Well, none of them could because they've been completely depleted of artillery and ammo and everything else because it's all been shipped to Ukraine. A big black hole, including hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, With no accountability. No accountability. What's the amount? $40 million worth of the equipment the Pentagon can't find? Is it, I think was it only forty? I mean, it sounds low. Right. Was it forty or forty thousand pieces? Yes. It was forty thousand pieces of unaccounted military, for. Forty thousand pieces of military hardware that the Pentagon cannot find. Where do you think it's at? It's on the black market. Zelensky's selling it, and the Bidens are getting a commission. <laughs> and if you don't believe it, you're. I mean, you're really naive. Because the average person can't, the average person doesn't think this way, that somebody's that corrupt. But corrupt people think that way. That's why they're corrupt. And they, they bank on not getting caught because the public doesn't think that way. Right. And even if they do get caught, let's say that it gets exposed that they were selling weapons on the black market. Well, the, the excuse would be, well, we had to do it in order to help finance the war here in Ukraine. Right. One thing Zelensky said was, you know, we're uh, we're fighting this war for all of Europe. That's the same thing Netanyahu said a few days ago. He said to the world, this isn't our war. This is your war. We're fighting this war for you. Oh, really? You're killing kids for me? Well, no, thank you, Mr. Netanyahu. I don't want a part of your war. You know, Doc, what I, what this reminds me of, I'm talking about NATO, the West, and Russia. It's like somebody who really doesn't like another person, and they just keep taunting them and irritating them and encroaching upon their property and, just, you know, just... 
messing with them all the time, just constantly messing with them. And then the other person finally files a lawsuit against them. And then they both sides, they're, they're in a big lawsuit. Right. And both sides are draining their bank accounts to fight the lawsuit because you can't, you can't lose now. Right. Your yeah. pride's at stake. You have to win now. You're, you're at a, a loss strategy. You've and, invested so much you can't lose. And we yeah. all know who wins in lawsuits. Lawyers. Lawyers. So who wins in wars? Defense contractors. And bankers. And bankers. And so they just stand back and go, keep it going, guys. Keep it going. Yes. All right, this is wonderful. This is great. And in and, and just a moment, I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to show you the very words of a NATO member government official who said these very things today. But it's like a lawsuit where both sides are fighting and they won't quit. They won't settle because of pride. They're in, they're in it too deep. Yes. And so they hang in there until one of them goes bankrupt. That's what's happening right now between the West and, and Russia. So I want to show you next. Uh, this is, uh, oh, yeah, here's RT. French war economy benefiting from Ukraine tensions, <laughs> says the French defense minister. Yeah, this is good for the economy. And he says it here. And yes. he tells you who it's good for. The surge in demand for weapons amid the Ukraine conflict has benefited the French economy, Defense Minister Sebastian Lecornus told a French newspaper on Wednesday. Tens of thousands of new jobs have been created in the defense industry. Now he tells us who. The war economy is an opportunity for our industrialists. <laughs> The military-industrial complex. Right. They have every interest. Listen, they have every interest in these tensions. They have. They're very interested in this war. They like it <laughs> because the ability to quickly deliver equipment will become one of the criteria for export success. The French warmongers have an interest in keeping this war going. That's what he's saying. Le Cornu revealed plans to produce 78 Caesar Hallowitzers in, for Ukraine in 2024, uh, a, a goal that has been made possible uh, via the arms manufacturer Nexter's reorganization. He said it took Nexter 30 months to produce a Caesar gun. Now it only takes 15 the employees were strongly mobilized. In other words, we have become more efficient in the war economy. We, we're making weapons faster. We've got more people working. Our industrialists are making more money. This is wonderful. Let's keep the war going, folks. That's what this is all about. But I'll harken back to our very first article today. Russia is out producing Europe. Yes, Russia is outproducing Europe by uh, almost by a, th a four to one margin right now. Well, Doc, and yet war's good for the economy, Rick. For a while, until until it goes full blown 
and then it destroys the economy and destroys civilization. Associated Press, top NATO military officer urges allies and leaders to plan for the unexpected in Ukraine. All right, so what's the unexpected, Rick? What, what would the unexpected be? Putin told us this week, it's country 404. Right. There, there's going to be a major offensive by Russia within the next month. They're going for it. Medvedev told us, we are not going to allow the Nazi regime to exist. They've told us. The Russians are looking at this saying, um, we've got Zelensky on his knees. He's drafting 60-year-old men. He's begging for bullets. The West is looking around in the corners of their armories for more guns and bullets. This is, this is our moment. Let's crush them. I don't think it was Russia's intention two years ago. I think it's their intention now. I believe they have concluded we cannot allow Ukraine to exist where, the, where NATO and the European Union has a role inside that country. And both Putin and Medvedev said that, and we re- yes. reported on that just yesterday. There, it can't be allowed. It's country 404. Page not found. Country not found. I believe they're going to make a move. And I believe this German um, war document, I think, Doc, is probably accurate. I, I, I think that, they're, that the Germans are, I mean, they got us in this mess. The Germans and the French and the Americans and the Brits, they got us in this mess. There didn't have to be a war with Russia. Yes. There did not have to be a war with Russia. The globalists got us in this mess. But I think the German scenario is right. The Russians are going to make a major mobilization soon. And they're going to go all the way in and crush Ukraine. And then NATO will say to the world, see, we told you. We told you Putin was going to do this. Now we have to mobilize and liberate. It's going to become liberate Ukraine. Doc, by the end of this year, we're going to hear the words liberate Ukraine. But there won't be anything left to you. There won't be anything left to liberate. Because by the time it's all said and done, the per- whole purpose of Ukraine was to have Ukraine carved up. Yes. So let's take a look at this. Uh, we, we talked about the German uh, war documents a few days ago. Uh, Euro News is reporting on it. Uh, Germany lays out exercise scenario for a potential conflict between NATO and Russia. It gives us some more details, Doc. And I think we ought to go through it. Okay. So it's a, a secret plan. By the German government preparing for a potential Russian aggression against NATO. That's that's the scenario. Russia's going to make a major move against NATO. I think it's Russia's going to make a a deep incursion into Ukraine because they see Ukraine as defeated. And then there's nobody NATO, left to fight. And NATO's going to say that's an offensive uh, yes. tactic against them. Right. By the way, today, the Russians, uh, Russian missiles hit a building in Ukraine and killed a lot of French fighters. And the Russians said they were from France. France hasn't said anything about it. Um, it says, uh, according to the German newspaper Bild, which saw the plans, the, the exercise scenario uh, foresees an incoming buildup of Russian troops in Belarus 
and the enclave of Kaliningrad. In response, the plan forecasts that NATO will deploy troops to Eastern Europe. The Kremlin then would mobilize 200,000 new recruits in February. That's next month. Yes. For a new offensive in Ukraine, which would allow Moscow to make significant advances on the ground by June. So if this is accurate, from February 2024, next month, to June, it's going to be hell on earth inside Ukraine. Major invasion of Russian troops in Ukraine wipe out the remains of the Ukrainian military, crush the Ukrainian government. They will take out Zelensky. They will take out the whole Ukrainian government. But the way this scenario is playing out, and I hadn't noticed it yesterday when we were talking about it, it says the plan forecast that NATO will deploy its troops to Eastern Europe, and then Russia will respond with an additional troop buildup. Yes. We have not seen... Those troops in Eastern Europe yet? Oh yes, we're, they're coming. But they're coming because we've got the big drill coming up, and uh, they're not going to leave. Fast endeavor. They're not going to leave. That's going to be a war drill that goes Go live. live. Yes, those troops are what ninety thousand troops. Yes, goes on to say. Let's see where did I pick up here? In uh, July, an eruption of violence. Okay, he's talking about. Uh, in, in, in July of this past year, they said Russia began a, a campaign of hybrid warfare against the Baltic states. Uh, cyber attacks in Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia would play on Russia's false narratives that Russian-speaking minorities in those countries are being unfairly targeted, that demands intervention. An eruption of violence in these countries will then justify the mobilization of Russian troops to Belarus. And Western Russia by September, I'll I'll rephrase this, would justify the mobilization of Russian troops sent to Belarus and Western Russia last September, by this coming September. Right. A month later, October, Moscow will deploy troops at the Belarusian border with Poland and in Kaliningrad, which sits between Poland and Lithuania. According to the German documents, it's then very likely that the Russian troops will target the Suwaki Gap, a strip of land inside the Polish border with Lithuania. Yeah, what that does is provides direct connection to Russia. It allows a direct connection between Kaliningrad and Russia. Because right now Kaliningrad is kind of sitting out by yes. itself. So they've got to secure that. That, that passageway. passageway. Yes. The German government expects NATO will deploy 300,000 troops to its eastern border, but doesn't anticipate that NATO will react until early. Now, listen to this, folks. The German government does not anticipate that NATO will react until early 2025, after the U.S. election, which may see Donald Trump reelected. All right, I'm going to I'm going to inject my thoughts in this. If we get to the fall of this year, 2024, and the NATO warmongers are convinced that Trump is going to win and that they can't rig the elections enough to keep him out. And if they did rig it this time there's going to be civil war. I believe that they will go to war with Russia 
in the fall of this year after the election, between November and January, while they still have puppet Biden right. in the White House. Or whoever it might Whoever be. it is. They will go to war between November and January. That's what I think. They're not going to. This is saying they're going to wait until the new president is in office who could be Trump. But if that's the case, he, he's, he's going to call it, it off. He's yeah. going to call off the war. He's going to call off NATO. <laughs> yes. Do you know they, the U.S. Congress last month passed a law yes. that said that the president cannot remove the United States of America from NATO? That was to block a future President Trump. But in this, what, I, what I'm seeing is if they are convinced that Trump is going to win, and they may, they may wait, Doc, right up until the election and Trump wins, then you can count, and here we go again, the Christmas season. Right. You know, you know every Christmas season I get, this, uh, I get the heebie-jeebies. This is going to be the year of the war. It, so it wasn't this past Christmas. We're going into another one. And the scenarios lining up that they are going to make a move on Russia in the fall of 25, of 24. It actually says the winter of 25, but I don't think they're going to wait. They can't. I mean, we're going to know by the middle end of summer how things are shaking out for the election. You know, if Biden is even going to be able uh, to be coherent enough to run and they and he gets replaced, they, I mean, can't, they can't have Donald Trump back in the White no, House. And they can't let Biden be the nominee because when they rig the election and Biden wins, even Democrats aren't going to believe it. I mean, seriously, you, you're going to tell me come this November that 51 percent or more of the American people said we want a senile old geezer in the White House. You, you really want me to believe that story? Doc, they can't push this any farther. Even the Democrats are going to know the election was rigged. Because Biden is so incompetent, so incoherent, so senile that nobody would believe that the American people would reelect him. They can't let him on the ticket. They have to remove him this year. And who are they going to put there? It's got to be somebody extremely strong. Politically, a Michelle Obama. Someone that can unify the Democrat Party. Yes. And there are very few people who could do that. Michelle Obama could be one of them. Yes. And don't rule out that, all right, I'm going to make a really wild political prediction, okay? Michelle Obama for president, Barack Obama for vice president. Oh, I could believe that. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that a former president can't be elected president. Or vice president. I mean, be elected vice president. Right. There's nothing that says it. If something happened to her, could he make the argument that the vice president is allowed to move into the presidency even though he served two terms? Well, does it say to serve or to be elected for two terms? Well, that's a good question. I'm going to make another really wild prediction. Everybody's trying to guess who Donald Trump's vice president will be. I'm going to put something out there really far out. Donald Trump Jr. 
Don Sr. is going to say to his enemies, you kill me, you still get a Donald Trump. Hmm. Don't rule this out. No, no. because We they, can have a, a ticket, Obama, Obama, versus Trump, Trump. Because uh, the other day, Donald Trump was asked at a rally in New Hampshire. Donald Trump Jr. was asked. About running for but, president but in, in 28. 20, in 28. He said, I'm not ruling anything out. Right. So, okay. <laughs> the dynasty is But nobody's is thinking way. about Donald Trump as vice president. Right. Well, that would be but slick. But a Michelle Obama, Barack Obama ticket. Obama, Obama versus Donald Trump Sr. and Donald Trump Jr. Obama, Obama versus Trump, Trump. <laughs> yes. Never happened in the history of the nation. But don't rule it a, out. That would be an interesting Don't ticket. rule it out. Sure Daily Mail. NATO prepares for Putin. 90,000 troops are called up for alliances, largest military exercise that will run for four months. Yes. So that well, when does it start? Here, just in a couple of weeks, Rick. And so uh, it'll run until late May and involve units from all 31 NATO countries, plus candidate member Sweden. Uh, and uh, so the alliance will demonstrate its ability to reinforce the Euro-Atlantic area by transatlantic movement of forces from North America. Uh, think about that, too. So they're looking at this as being a supply, logistics, and personnel issue by shipping Material supplies and personnel from the U.S. and Canada. Um, moms and dads, you need to read read into that. Yes, and wives of servicemen. This this uh, exercise is going to reinforce the ability of NATO to move American and Canadian troops to Europe. Get ready. We're we're going to be in it. So the exercise starts next in a few weeks, yes, and it goes to the end of May. Starts next week, goes to the end of May. All of it preparation for the all-out war, either late twenty-four or early twenty-five. And we're out of ammo in America. You and I are going to have a difficult time buying ammo. Very very soon, it's going to disappear. There won't be a shelf. In America, that has ammo for sale. Politico, former NATO chief, tells Democrats, cut a border deal with the Republicans and help Ukraine and beat Trump. This is the former Secretary General of NATO giving political advice to the Democrats. Right. For what purpose? To defeat Trump. To defeat Trump and to keep the war going. So uh, former Secretary General of NATO, Anders Rasmussen, is urging Democrats to cut a border enforcement deal with Republicans to secure new aid for the war in Ukraine. And in an interview, he said the deal would help Democrats in the election. He said, quote, if I were asked by Democrats what to do, my advice would be to accommodate Republican views on the border issue and create a package with four elements. Support for Ukraine. Support for Israel, support for Taiwan, solve the border issue. If I were in the leadership of the Democratic campaign, I would not hesitate to close this issue to accommodate Republicans, to make it a non-issue in the coming election campaign. He's saying the former secretary general of NATO, a European, is telling the Democrats in America, this war with Ukraine, which means war with Russia, and Israel. Yes. 
and Taiwan are so important, Democrats. World War III is so important. You've got to swallow your pride and build a border wall. Let the Republicans win on that issue. You and I have got to win on all the war issues. That's what he's saying. Let the Republicans win on the border issue. But we will win in all of the wars. He, th- he cited three wars. Yes. A world war. It's a world war. Ukraine, Russia, Israel, and Taiwan and China. And he said it's so important. You just got to swallow your pride, make a political deal, let the Republicans win. We'll beat them at the election. That's what he's saying. We'll beat them at the election. We, Europe and the Democrats, we will beat them. (laughs) I I missed that, yes. Some more World War III. U.S. strikes Houthi missile launchers that posed imminent threat to ships in Red Sea. That happened uh, last night. Uh, BBC, Pakistan launches retaliatory strikes into Iran. So they did it. Pakistan has now bombed Iran. I didn't see this coming, Doc. This this is one I didn't see. Iran bombing Pakistan, Pakistan bombing Iran. I have never predicted it, never saw it coming. Um, so we don't know what's coming next month, do we? No. The, the whole thing is a powder keg. Uh, next, uh, we have Financial Times here. Arab nations develop plan to end Israel-Hamas war and create a Palestinian state. Uh, if you believe this, uh, Arab states are working on initiatives to secure a ceasefire and the release of hostages in Gaza as part of a broader plan that could offer Israel a normalization of relations if it agrees to irreversible steps towards the creation of a Palestinian state. Doc, I really believe uh, Israel's uh, um, ruthless destruction of Gaza has backfired on them. It has turned world opinion against the Zionists. They can never again cry victim. The world sees them as the victimizer. They've lost the. They've lost that that PR level that they had as we're victims of anti-Semitism. We're victims of the Holocaust. We're victims. They've lost it. Right. The people are saying, "No, you're ruthless." You've killed 10, 12, 15,000 children. You've burned the skin off of children. You, cut, you blew off their arms and legs. We've seen the videos. We don't believe you anymore. They've lost, Doc. The United States is the only place that still supports Israel. The whole world has turned against them. This has backfired on them. Right. And, and the, even Israel doesn't even have full support of the U.S. right now. Yes, they're losing. Have you heard about uh, the, uh, a, a phone call between uh, Biden and Netanyahu and Biden hung up on Netanyahu a few weeks no. ago? Yeah, this, all the different talking heads were talking about it yesterday. Apparently, there was a, uh, a phone call between President Biden and Benjamin Netanyahu. And in the course of the conversation, Biden hung up on Netanyahu. Because Netanyahu is telling Biden, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to kill the Palestinians. Biden's telling uh, Netanyahu, hey, man, we're looking really bad over here. We, we can't keep sending you missiles and white phosphorus bombs. This is looking bad on me. Man, and people are heckling me now. Democrats are heckling me. I can't keep doing this. And yeah. Netanyahu said, I don't, I don't care. We're going to kill them. Netanyahu is bloodthirsty. 
and he is going to crush all of Palestine. That's his intention. That is his intention. But it's, they're, losing, they're losing the battle for the hearts and minds of the world. They're no longer the victims. They're now the victimizers. The people have turned against them. Only the United States of America is supporting them all out. Anything goes. And even that is shaky right now. But even this deal here with the uh, that's being reported in Financial Times, they're saying they could normalize relations with Israel within weeks. Yes. Within so, weeks. So where the Arabs are at is that the Arabs were actually, the Arab nations were actually on track to normalize relations with with Israel, recognize them, officially recognize their right to exist until this war started. And now the Arab leaders are saying to Netanyahu, we can't sign a peace treaty with you. Right. The people will come into our palaces and hang us. We're having a hard time now stopping riots in our countries over you. Our, our people, the Muslims, are, are demanding that we take action against you. How in the world can we sign a peace treaty with Israel now? You're going to have to do something. You've got to create a Palestinian state. Then we can tell the Muslims of the world, we got the Palestinian state created. Then we made peace with Israel. That's where they're at. But Netanyahu will never, ever, ever set up a Palestinian state. I know. So he what, has what, lied what, for decades. What hope is there in, any, in, in putting out this? The deep state of Israel will have to remove Netanyahu. That's what I was thinking, too. That's the only solution. They'll remove they him. They will remove him. They'll remove some of the wacko crazies that they've got in the government. Because there are some really totally bunker Zionists in the Netanyahu government right now. It says uh, a senior Arab official said they hope to present the plan uh, within a few weeks in an effort to end the Israel-Hamas war and to prevent a wider war. Uh, Arab officials have discussed a plan with the United States and Europe. It would include Western nations agreeing to recognize a Palestinian state and give Palestine full membership in the United Nations. Uh, Saudi Foreign Minister Prince Faisal bin Fahan said uh, when he was asked would he recognize Israel as part of a wider political agreement, he said certainly. In Davos, he said, we agree that regional peace includes peace for Israel, but that can only happen through peace for the Palestinians through a Palestinian state. And then we go to another person at Davos. This is uh, Times of Israel, Isaac Herzog, the president of Israel. He says, no Israeli in their right mind. He's talking peace. Are talking peace. Well, that tells you their attitude. There's no way we're going to create a Palestinian state. We're going to crush the Palestinians. Uh, Doc, there's, there's not a lot of room in there for compromise. Yes. There has to be a severe change of government in Israel, or they have to completely wipe out Gaza. Right. Two. Well, while I talk about wiping out Gaza, I'm going to show you two videos. I have hundreds I can show you. I'll just show you two. They're shocking. This one, the, look at this child little child being pulled, being pulled out, of out of the rubble. Just get a look at her face. 
Just the shock, the terror. And this is every day. Every hour of every day. Let's look at another one. Uh, Just the atrocities against the children. This is in a hospital. And just uh, these images, I I don't want to say we're getting used to them, but they're just so common now. It's every single day. Um, You know, I've I've posted a lot of stuff on Twitter trying to... um, Wake up the world, and and a lot of people are following uh, my account on Twitter. But uh, Doc, in the past week, uh, there's hardly anything coming out of Gaza, and that is because uh, Israel has just completely shut off the internet and phone communication over Gaza. Right, which means they are killing people at an increased rate. Right. And they don't want anybody to see the slaughter. And the International Court of Justice just had their hearings. Yes. With a, a decision that might take two or three years. Two or three years. Yeah, there won't be any children left. And so Israel and the conflict in Gaza has again been completely out of the news now for about a full week. So you have been looking at, you know, you haven't been talking about Israel. You haven't been... Uh, talking about Gaza, at least in the um, uh, mainstream, mainstream press, uh, it's been off the it's been off the header. Uh, they don't talk about it. It's not important right now. But the kids are dying. Yes, at the same rate. Every it hour, hasn't slowed down. Every hour, the children are dying. Their skin is being burned off of them through white phosphorus, which is supplied by the Pentagon. I've never seen anything this horrible in my entire life. It's been the most shocking, grievous thing I've ever witnessed. And uh, it's just the beginning of World War III. It's just the beginning. Those scenes of burned children are, are, are going to be repeated in many countries. <clears throat> Folks, do you understand that? You need to look at what they're doing to the children in Gaza because it's coming to a city near you. And if nobody saved the Palestinian children, nobody's going to save your children. That's just the truth, isn't it? Yes. Um, we'll talk a little bit about politics here in the United States. Uh, one thing that happened um, Monday night in Iowa, President, we mentioned it here, President Trump, when he gave his uh, victory speech, uh, most of the television networks either didn't show it or, or just cut him off. Right. In fact, uh, some of the networks bragged that they they didn't show it. Yes, MSNBC said uh, we didn't show it because we don't we don't broadcast lies. He's a liar, and we're not going to allow him to lie. Uh, Florida Senator Marco Rubio was on Fox News. He had some things to say about this type of censorship. Let's watch him. It's not about bias anymore. There's always been liberal bias in the media. Human beings are biased. They're partisan. And they're not just partisan, like openly partisan. They are now extending that to not just attack Trump as a candidate, as a former president and future president, but also to attack the people who follow him just in the last 48 hours. We've had multiple people go on the air on other networks and talk about things like, well, in Iowa, the problem is these are all white Christians. Or their attitude about the followers of Trump is these are dumb, stupid, uneducated people that don't know any better or worse. They're haters. They're bigots. Um, and, and, and so it's what's what's really changed is not just the partisan tone of the coverage, but now this effort to say we're not going to carry his speech. We're not going to let you 
hear what he has to say. We'll interpret it and we'll put out the snippets we want you to hear, but we've made the decision to no longer carry it. You know, you put up my uh, message a moment ago from what I put up an X. This is exactly how state-run media is used by authoritarian governments to delegitimize, de to discredit, to basically make people believe that there is no alternative but to the regime and to their rule. And that's how that's it's it's destroying the media in this country. No, it's it's why at this point, you know, no one believes anything they see or hear anymore. It's it's not destroying it. It is destroyed. <laughs> it is destroyed. I mean, there there's this uh, coalition between the deep state and the government and and uh, American media, Jewish-controlled American media, that they've got a common agenda. Doc, they're doing this so they can save democracy. Yes. They'll corrupt democracy to save democracy. We're not a democracy anyway. We're a constitutional republic. Congressman Jim Jordan is asking questions about why the U.S. federal government flagged terms such as MAGA and Trump and Bible. And Bass Pro. Um, yeah, Bass Pro on financial institutions. Jim Jordan, this is a tweet. We now know the federal government flagged terms like MAGA and Trump to financial institutions if Americans completed transactions using those terms. What was also flagged? If you bought a religious text, yes. like a Bible, or shopped at Bass Pro Shop, you were tagged by the Financial Crimes Unit in the Treasury Department. And this is related to January 6th and the request by the Justice Department of Bank of America to provide them these searches and these terms. Uh, he uh, sent a letter. Um, I don't know if this is the, is that the first one or the second one. He sent several letters. Uh, um so this one is uh, in a, this is the second letter. In a separate letter sent Wednesday, the panel chairman asked FBI Director Christopher Wray to make a senior official in the Bureau's strategic partner engagement section available for an interview related to Bank of America's cooperation with the FBI. Jordan is seeking to question the FBI official Peter Sullivan about the Bureau's mass accumulation and use of Americans' Private information without legal process. The FBI's protocols, if any, to safeguard American privacy and constitutional rights in the receipt and use of such information. And the FBI's general engagement with the private sector on law enforcement matters. And what else did they look into? They looked into hotel receipts, Airbnb receipts, firearm receipts, airline ticket purchases. They went to banks and said, Give us information on anybody that has used the term MAGA or Trump or Trump, anything like this. We want to know what they've been buying. And we want to know anyone within, you know, that attended any time around January 6th. Did they buy a firearm in the past six months? Or did they go to Washington? Yes. Did they even go to Washington? Maybe right. they just went for a vacation. They wanted to know who were the Trump supporters who went who went to Washington. Um I'll just do the headline here. This New York Post feds asked bank banks to search customer data for Trump and MAGA references. If we only knew, Doc, how extensive the war is against American citizens. I, I get a few minutes. I want to talk about Hunter Biden. 
I've been wanting for several days to talk talk about this. New York Post, Hunter Biden's gun pouch tested for cocaine last year after sister-in-law turned lover Haley Biden tossed it in the trash. We all remember the Hunter Biden gun. Right. Well, it was coated with cocaine. And, at, and has been for a couple years. It's been in storage. At, at where? At the police department. <laughs> and where did they find the gun? In a it, trash can. Haley Biden, his sister-in-law turned lover after his brother died, threw the gun <laughs> just in Just that whole scenario right His there. sister-in-law turned br- lover after his brother died. Threw the gun coated with cocaine in a trash can. Behind a grocery store. Behind a grocery store. Not not in their trash can at the curb. No, she went to a grocery store, behind a grocery store, and dumped Hunter's gun. And, and didn't think that there might be a criminal that would go dumpster diving and find a gun. So, And was the gun linked? Was there a serial number, anything linked to Hunter Biden with that gun? I mean, well, they said if, it's Hunter's gun. <laughs> Doc, if you had a gun coated with cocaine and threw it in a trash can, you would be in prison right now. All right. So now this happened five years ago. I, I've, I had never heard this before yesterday. I know. I'd never heard this before I know. yesterday. This is just this is brand new. And so the police found this firearm in the trash can and had it for four years. It's only within the past year that they pulled it out because they were testing the gun and they said hey what's this white powder on the outside of the pouch of this gun and they tested it and it was cocaine yes now you know why it's coming out because remember hunter's uh sweetheart deal that they tried to push through last year oh it was on the gun charge too on the gun this is it remember (laughs) remember the 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 plea bargain where he was going to walk get his knuckles cracked and take a walk, and remember it fell apart. The judge refused to go along with it. Right. So now it's back in court, and they're actually looking at the evidence, and the evidence is coming out, and that's why we're discovering that his gun was coated with cocaine. The next one, uh, Jonathan Turley, Professor George Washington, art dealer testifies that Hunter Biden expressly asked for buyer information. Remember, there for a while he was selling his uh, his art. his creative art, and he was getting a lot of money for it. You're going to be shocked how much money he got. Well, what we now know is that Hunter demanded to know who was buying his art, despite the fact that for several years now, and, this, and of course, this whole art scam is just laughable. They had made a big deal about we don't know who purchases it we don't know who does it or anything like that at all and even went to the white house with this information look at look at this photo again let's look at the at the art okay that's one of his if somebody paid me say a quarter million dollars for that i wouldn't want to know because i'd be afraid i would meet them someday and would be extremely embarrassed (laughs) that that i took a quarter million dollars from them for, for that painting so why would he want to know to make sure they were taken care of? Right. Because this is what we're learning. 
says more details are emerging from the recent testimony of Hunter Biden's art dealer, George Burgess. Burgess has confirmed that the accounts of buyers flocking to buy Hunter's art was false and that most of the art was purchased by Democratic Party donors, Kevin Morris. That's his lawyer, buddy. Right. His, the, his bong lawyer. His, his, his oh, bong. You saw the picture of Kevin Morris yes. you know, smoking a bong. Well, he's testifying, on, he's testifying in Washington today, Kevin Morris. There's, there'll be more news coming out tomorrow. Burgess report, reportedly testified that he had no contacts with the White House and Hunter knew the identity of the purchasers of most of the art. Burgess was reading the same reports in the news but never objected to the alleged misrepresentations. He admitted that he read of, of those reports and was confused. A staffer asked, when, when you're seeing in the press that the White House is putting in certain safeguards regarding an ethics agreement, but you had no conversations with the White House, did you ever say to Hunter Biden, hey, where's this coming from? He responded, I might have. I probably did. He admitted that he was surprised by the coverage because what goes on to talk about the fact is that these two donors, Democratic donors to the Biden campaign, spent over a million dollars on Hunter's art. And these are just two. Two. They paid over a million dollars for that picture, a couple more paintings. But there was nothing promised. There was no sweetheart deals, uh, no influence peddling. They just loved bad art. (laughs) It's so crazy. Cocaine art. (laughs) I wish I had more time. Uh, I don't think we have any time in in the second hour. Just a couple minutes. Yeah, we got maybe I'll show you uh, Peppermint Patty. She was asked about it last year. Hey, we got to take a break. Don't forget about American Reserves. They've got that special buy one bucket, get the second one, half price, the side buckets. I'll be back in a moment. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find true news on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Hey, that American Reserve special is uh, by any side bucket. A side bucket is... uh, Anything that contains like the beef and chicken and the uh, the, the vegetables, the fruits, uh, powdered eggs, whey milk. Right. Those are the side buckets. You can buy any one, regular price, and buy a second bucket of any any item. Doesn't have to be the same one. You get the second item, fifty percent off. That's AmericanReserves.com. AmericanReserves.com, and this continues until Sunday night, this coming Sunday. They've extended it because of the tremendous response from the True News audience. You guys, I, I'm so happy to hear that you're you're taking this World War III news seriously. Yes. And you are preparing. So take advantage of these offers. AmericanReserves.com, buy one side bucket, get the second one, Half price, 50% off this special 
expires on Sunday night, this coming Sunday at midnight Eastern time. Um, do we have time? So I'm going to go back to uh, July of 2021. Jen Dasaki, uh, Peppermint Patty, when she was the press secretary, she was asked about Hunter Biden's art collection. There's the uh, press conference briefing. Let's watch the video really quickly. White House play any role in crafting the sales agreement with the New York Gallery um, to protect the uh, the purchasers or the ultimate purchasers' identity. Well, I can tell you that after careful consideration, a system has been established that allows for Hunter Biden to work in his profession within reasonable safeguards. Uh, Of course, he has the right to pursue an artistic career, just like any child of a president has the right to pursue a career. Uh, But all interactions regarding the selling of art and the setting of prices uh, will be handled by a professional gallerist adhering to the highest industry standards. And any offer out of the normal course would be rejected out of hand. And the gallerist will not share information about buyers or prospective buyers, including their identities with Hunter Biden or the administration, which provides quite a level of protection and transparency. The right. gallery owner is a private citizen who might not be privy to who might have some interests in purchasing this artwork. Is the White House doing anything to work with the owner to make sure um, there's not impropriety there when it is ultimately sold? Well, I think it would be challenging for an anonymous person who we don't know and Hunter Biden doesn't know to have influence. So that's a protection. Go ahead. So the assumption there is that they didn't know who the donors were. Yeah, so the, the scheme that they had was they they appointed, Hunter Biden appointed an art gallery dealer, a third party. That was George Burgess. And his job was to sell Hunter's art, but not tell him who bought it, how much money came in, you know, from each person. But Mr. Burgess said Hunter demanded to know the names. And that there was no agreement with the White House that Jin Saki right. said was there. Later there was. Yes. But the money, the million dollars, came from two people, and they were Biden donors. Such crooks. Hey, we'll take a break. We'll be back with Morning Manna. You don't want to miss it. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, Father, thank you for this new day. Thank you for life. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for giving us your Son and your Holy Spirit. Father, we invite the Holy Spirit into this Bible study to lead us and teach us and illuminate our hearts and minds to understand your word and to see your Son, Jesus, and his kingdom. We pray in his wonderful name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, Doc, uh, verses 2 and 3. All right. So, reading from the King James, Matthew chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. 
saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Amen. Um, for we saw his star in the east. Uh, it, it is, uh, it's doubtful that the wise men, the Magi, were aware of the miraculous virgin birth of the Son of God. Most likely they set out on their journey convinced that a special child was to be born and would grow up to be the king of the Jews. I don't think that they they knew about the virgin birth. From where did they get this knowledge that there would be a king born in Judea? Well, their, their libraries, remember, the Magi were highly educated men. I personally believe that they were from Persia, which is modern Iran. Possibly they were from someplace else, but I've, I, my, for my own purposes, I've concluded that, that they were Persians. And they were, they were among the most educated men in Persia. Their, their libraries of world history, science, astronomy, mathematics, natural cycles, religion, probably contained some or all of the Torah and some or all of the writings of the Jewish prophets. Most certainly they had copies of Daniel's prophecies. Daniel was in Persia. So certainly they had copies of Daniel's prophecies. The wise men were, were Gentiles who possessed knowledge and understanding of the Jewish people and God's dealings with them. Right. It wasn't the only thing that they knew. They knew astronomy. They knew mathematics. They knew history. But they also knew Jewish prophecies. Now, the writings of two Roman historians revealed that there was a widely known expectation amongst the Jews and among the people of the East that a king would be born in Judea. Uh, Tacitus, or Tacticus, I'm not sure how is the Roman historian. Doc, do you know? I've always, I've always pronounced it Tacitus. I could be wrong. But All right, I, go with Tacitus. Uh, this is what he wrote. Now, this is written... Um, it was in a book he wrote called Histories, and this was in um, uh, Volume 5. And so this is long, centuries before Jesus was born. Okay. He wrote, the Jews firmly believed 
that their ancient scriptures quoted by their priests contained a prophecy of how at a certain time when the East was powerful, a ruler would come forth from Judea and how he would secure a universal empire. Let me correct myself. He didn't write this centuries before Jesus. This is written. He's a Roman empire historian. Well, what he's writing is that it was well known right. that the Jews knew that, and he said that a powerful ruler would come forth from Judea and that he would secure a universal empire. Uh, Suetonius was another Roman historian who, who mentioned the ancient Jewish prophetic beliefs that a ruler would be given to them. In the book, The Lives of the Caesars, The Life of, of Vespasian, he wrote, an old and well-established belief was held all over the Orient that one would arise from Judea who would establish a government over all men. The reason I'm telling you this is because I believe that the, the Magi were acquainted with these prophecies. And so when this mysterious star arose, they immediately began to think of these prophecies. Right. Another, another ancient source is the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs. It's a collection of writings allegedly written by the sons of Jacob. It's not biblical. Uh, fragments were found among the Dead Sea Scrolls in Israel. And there are prophecies scattered throughout the Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs that foretell the birth of a royal king over Judah. For example, in the Testament of Levi, it says, The heavens shall be opened, and from the temple of glory shall come upon him sanctification, with the Father's voice as from Abraham to Isaac. And the glory of the Most High shall be uttered over him. And the spirit of understanding and sanctification shall rest upon him in the water. Now, compare that with what the Holy Bible says, Matthew 3, verse 16, 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So maybe the, the Magi had copies of the, of the 12 uh, patriarchs, the testament of the 12 patriarchs. All I know is that they probably have one of the best libraries in the East. Right. And they were very educated men. Now, among the Magi's books and parchments certainly would have been one of Balaam's prophecies. Balaam was a prophet, but a corrupt prophet. 
He spoke prophecies that were recorded in the Old Testament, yet the New Testament condemns him as wicked. Uh, let's let's just say uh, Balaam could be rented. He was a prophet for hire. Yes, kind of like some TV preachers. <laughs> Donate enough and they'll prophesy. Now, there's a difference between a wicked prophet and a false prophet. Balaam was not a false prophet. He was a corrupt prophet who at times offered to use his true prophetic gift of prophecy in return for money, and that made him a wicked prophet. Apostle Paul said the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. The Holy Spirit calls men and women to ministry in his name and bestows upon them spiritual gifts. And men and women called by God can use their spiritual gifts the right way or the wrong way. Right. Balaam used a true gift the wrong way. Correct. A false prophet. A false prophet is a person who was never called by God in the first place, never anointed, but falsely prophesies in the name of the Lord. Would you would you agree, Doc? Is that a good explanation between? I, I would, you know, pretty much. Yeah, I agree with you there, Rick. I think Balaam had a genuine gift, but misused it. So, precisely. So how would you describe a false prophet? Uh, I would describe a false prophet as someone that is simply making up the prophecies as he go, goes along. Right. So it's a person who wasn't called by God to be a prophet. Right. Okay. So I think Balaam's calling was genuine that uh, obviously he had a, a true gift because he prophesied not just, you know, uh, about what was going to happen to the uh, the children uh, uh, of Israel in the desert, but he also prophesied about Jesus. Yes. So uh, the scripture is legitimizing his gift. Yes. And yet the scriptures condemn him as wicked. That's right. So which prophecy of Balaam could have been cited by the wise men, the Magi, as justification to make a long journey to Jerusalem. Let's take a look at Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. This is a prophecy uttered by Balaam. I see him, but not now. I see him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel and shall strike through the corners of Moab and crush all the sons of Sheth. Old wicked prophet Balaam peered into the future with prophetic eyes, and, the, and he, he spoke a prophecy that was legitimate. It was yeah, real. It was true. Nobody, nobody paid him to prophesy this one. This one was genuine, came from the Holy Spirit. I see him, but it's not now. It's a long way off. I see him, 
He's not close. He's far away. I see a star. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Jacob. There's and, an Aramaic. And Balaam, and Balaam there was actually quoting Jacob, too, from back in Genesis chapter 49. Uh, Jacob was giving a prophecy as he was uh, as he was dying and said, a scepter shall rise out of, uh, out of my lineage, out of my tree. He uses those same words about a scepter. Is a scepter will rise out of Jacob. So there, there's a uh, Aramaic translation of the Torah uh, called the uh, Targum. And it says, when the king shall arise out of Jacob... And the Messiah shall be anointed from Israel. There's another translation called the Targum of Palestine. And it says, a king is to arise from the house of Jacob and a redeemer and ruler from the house of Israel. So Balaam issued his prophecy prior to Moses' arrival at Mount Nebo, where Moses saw the promised land. If Balaam's 1,400-year-old prophecy was known to the wise men, it means that their predecessors passed down knowledge to succeeding generations of Magi that someday a star will come out of Jacob that heralds the birth of the king of Israel, who will be Israel's redeemer and ruler. Right. Now, you've got to keep in mind, too, in this time period, uh, the Jews were a despised people. They, they were under the heel of Rome. They didn't really have their own country. Um, you know, they'd been scattered to the wind, and some had come back to Judea. But there was really in that day and time, there was nothing significant about the Jews or about the they, Jewish they had people. Lost their, they had lost their luster. Right. And so here a, a bunch of uh, scholars from the East come and they say, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Well, anybody around would go, the Jews? What are you talking about? <laughs> king of the Jews. Uh, the, they don't even have a kingdom, much less a king. Mm -hmm. That's right. So in ancient times, it was believed that stars and comets heralded the birth of monarchs who would acquire much glory during their reigns on earth. So perhaps the Magi were excited and overjoyed that it was their generation of Magi who were privileged to be granted the honor by God to see the star that would come out of Jacob. They had to have been thinking these things. That generation after generation of Magi handed down to the next generation, hey, watch for this. Someday there's a star that's going to appear. It's going to come out of Jacob. You know, they learned it in Magi school. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Don't you think they had a Magi school? We know they did because Daniel tells us in, in his recollection that they 
they had a training center. They had a special yes. diet. They had uh, they had access to the royal court. That means they had access to knowledge and information that may have been passed down not just for hundreds of years, maybe even for thousands of years. Yes, that's right. So I think I think they were taught in Magi school. Be watching for that star. You might be in the generation that sees that star. Um. I feel, you know, let's let's take a look at the words, the lyrics of another favorite Christmas Christmas carol. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse afar. Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. I think it has more meaning to us now. The more we learn about the Magi and the star, I believe this this Christmas carol has more meaning when we sing it. Doc and I were talking yesterday after Morning Manna. Like, how long did the Magi... What was the time span between when they first saw the star and they actually left Persia? So if... Let's say that one Magi saw a star... Maybe maybe a, a Magi intern saw the star <laughs> and, and went over to the house of one of the Magi, knocked on his door, and said, Professor, you got to come outside and look in the sky. They were experts on the stars. They were astronomers. They could tell you everything about the skies. They knew that that star didn't belong there. There was something out of place. It was unusual. You know, I can imagine that one Magi telling his assistants, go get all the other Magis. Tell them to meet me. Maybe, you know, they found a, a, a central rendezvous place. Tell them to meet me there in 30 minutes. The first time that they saw the star. I, I, you know, I can just see a group of magi looking up at the sky at night going, what is this? This is so unusual. Nobody has ever seen this star. They had to, something like that had to have happened. Right. And then... Night after night, they gathered and looked at it again. And talked about it and discussed it. And, and talked about it. And <laughs> then they got the books out and the uh, the reference guides and everything. And so what does yes, this and mean? Then they talked, and, and then they talked about the books. They talked about the prophecies. And this this may have gone on for six months. Yes. And at some point, they came to the conclusion, this is Balaam's prophecy. Right. We are we are 
absolutely certain now. This is Balaam's prophecy. The star has risen out of Jacob. We've got to go tell the king, the king of Persia. We're going to go tell him. They weren't going to go marching into the king's palace when they weren't certain. They waited a long time until they were certain that this prophecy was being fulfilled. It, in my view, it was not a real star. I believe it was an angel. I believe that angel was up there going, okay, I'm doing my star thing here. Look, Hey, guys, look here. I'm here every single night. Look at me. And the you know, other I, I, question is, was it just the Magi that saw the star, or did everybody see the star? Well, that's a good question, and because it appears that when you get to Jerusalem, nobody else saw it. Right. Nobody said, oh, oh so you came because of that star. Right. So you've got these modern-day theories that say, well, it was the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, or maybe it was right. a comet, uh, or maybe it was all these other things. But no, there was... There was something supernatural about this. Yes. Uh, as if there were only certain people who could see it. Yes. And the star did not appear in the east. The wise men saw it. They were standing in the east when they saw it. So it was in the west. It was in the west. So we get confused when we read the King James you know, we see we saw the star in the east. It's a better way to say it is we saw the star while standing in the east. It was to the west of them. Yeah, westward leading, still proceeding. Yes. So, so the the writer of the carol knew it, understood it. We have come to worship him. In its broadest meaning, Gentiles are all people outside the 12 tribes of Israel, the natural tribes of Israel. The manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles began with the wise men from the east. The first humans who worshiped Jesus Christ were Gentiles, not Jews. Think about that. That is an astounding thought. Yes. The first humans who worshiped Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews, were not Jews. They were Gentiles. Gentiles were seeking the king of the Jews. Yes. As I said yesterday, the wise men, the magi, represent all of the world's education, wisdom, knowledge, seeking for the meaning of life, the origin of life, the purpose of life. And they were led supernaturally to Jerusalem. And then yesterday after morning, man, a doc made a very profound statement to me. Doc, why don't you... Repeat that to our class. I, I don't remember what it was I said. <laughs> Which puts out? Because what we said was we the the wise men were led supernaturally yes. to Jerusalem. They followed the star. 
and just but how to did Jerusalem, they get to Bethlehem? Well, the uh, their wisdom and their observation of everything that was going on, uh, the supernatural event, they followed it. It was something that was outside of their natural knowledge, but they only they followed the star, his star, to Jerusalem. But that's as far as their knowledge could take them. In order to get to Bethlehem, they had to have the word of God. And what do I mean by that? When, uh, when this is made known to Herod, Herod calls in the uh, chief priests and scribes. And the chief priests and scribes, they, they know where the king will be born. They know where the Messiah will be born. They know it's Bethlehem. But obviously, the wise men did not know that. They needed the word of God to get them to Bethlehem. Their wisdom and knowledge and, and natural inclination could only get them to Jerusalem. They needed the word of God to get them to Bethlehem. And in order to get to Bethlehem, they had to believe the word of God. Yes. And Bethlehem was only six miles from Jerusalem. That's right. But the wise men didn't know where the king would be born, but the word of God revealed it. Yes. Which indicates, and we'll see this later as we study Matthew, I believe the star disappeared. I think so, too. I believe it, it appeared, disappeared, it moved, it hovered. It it was stationary. It mo- it was not a star. Well, and verse nine actually says that it says, after they left Herod, they followed the star till it came and stood over where the young child was. So, and when they saw it, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. It stopped there. There was no further. Yes. But they couldn't mm-hmm. follow the star until they obeyed the word of God. Yes. And something but else it indicates. Doc, if the if the star stopped, that implies the star had been moving. Yes. And, you can't and, stop if you weren't moving. And, and something else that uh, stood out to me, and I just noticed it, Rick, I hadn't thought about it before, where in verse 2 it says, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Uh, think about that a minute. How many people are born as kings? Right? Normally, you're born as what? A prince. You're you're not born a king. That's true. You're born a prince. The the king is in place, right? You're born a prince. You're not born a king. And yet, the the wise men here, the magi, said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? In other words, they had information that this, whoever this is, this child that is, is here is the king of the Jews. He's born king he of Jews. He doesn't have to wait on his earthly father to pass away to become the king. He's already king. He's a he's, he's born a king. A king. Right. Wow, that's that's profound, Doc. I, I also about that before. Also, they said, "Where is the king of the Jews?" They didn't say, "Where where is our king?" They said, "Where's the king of the Jews?" They knew that this child was the king of the Jews. But they also knew that he deserved worship, too. There's a lot in here. So, no doubt the the Magi made a beeline for Jerusalem. After, After the Jewish rulers 
the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, they, they got advice from them in Jerusalem. And they told them, hey, the prophecy says he's going to be in Bethlehem. Well, where's Bethlehem? They pointed uh, about six miles that way. What was Bethlehem? The former capital of Israel in the days of King David, the city of David, the city of bread. Uh, surely they reason among themselves. The Jews would joyfully welcome them when they heard the good news that the king of the Jews had been born. The Magi's quest to find the king of the Jews did not arouse excitement no. among no. Jerusalem's Jews. The city's inhabitants should have rejoiced with gladness that Almighty God had finally sent the Messiah. Instead, instead of eager excitement that God had fulfilled his promise to them, their reaction was the opposite. They yawned. They didn't care. And that was that's because most Jews were no longer waiting for the Messiah. Judaism had replaced the hope of the Messiah. Yes. Religion yes. had replaced it. Religion. And today, under Zionism, yes. what Theodore Herzl taught 100 years ago was the modern state of Israel will become the Messiah. Yes. So how perplexed the Magi must have been as they walked the streets of Jerusalem, realizing that few people cared that their king had been born. They did not care because their hearts did not desire the king. That's the only reason the Jews no longer desired their Messiah. Right. And what the wise men were saying to the chief priests and scribes didn't fit their current dispensational chart in their, in their day. That's right. And they, they were expecting a warrior Messiah who would conquer the Romans and restore the land and the wealth and the pomp and the glory of of the Davidic Empire. And they're still expecting it today. And they're still acting as though that's what's going to happen because they're, they're killing off the Palestinian people, saying that we have to do this in order to establish greater Israel. We have to kill all of these Amalekites. Yes. Even their children. And Netanyahu quoted those scriptures justifying the killing of Palestinian children. And those, those quotes by Netanyahu have been entered into the International Court of Justice as evidence that he is deliberately killing the children. Verse 3, when King Herod heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So when they arrived in Jerusalem, and remember the Magi had been traveling maybe six months, maybe 12 months to get from Persia to Jerusalem. 
They went throughout the city. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? I mean, it must have created quite a stir. Because as I said yesterday, I don't believe that it was just three magi. And, right. and the number of magi could have been three. But I think they came with an entourage. They were carrying wealth, gold, frankincense, myrrh. They had supplies to last them six to 12 months. I believe that there were many camels. There were many assistants. They were, there were bodyguards, soldiers. These guys were representing the king of Persia. So they're, they're going around the city of Jerusalem. Hey, we're trying to find the king of the Jews. Where is he, where, where is he going to be born? You know, at the marketplace, at the pub, at the cafe, at the courthouse, people were saying, who are these who are these royal visitors asking, where's the king of the Jews? It, it had to be the buzz of the city. Finally, news got to old Herod. Yes. We don't know how long it took. Hours, days, weeks. We don't know. But eventually, somebody told Herod, hey, king, there's a there's a couple magi from Persia here, and they're looking for the king of the Jews. Thought you might want to know it. You know, occupants of palaces are usually the last to know what's going on in their countries on the street level. Uh, Herod was not amused; he was troubled. Indeed, the Bible says all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Yes. Why were the Jews troubled? They should have been elated, excited, joyful. Instead, they're troubled. Troubled that God sent them a king? Troubled that God fulfilled his promises? Why would that trouble you? Because you didn't want God to fulfill his promise. Right. That's why. Because you would have to submit to the king. So obviously the, the, the wise men, the magi, stirred up a flurry of rumors and conspiracies and speculations about the strange appearance of mysterious important visitors from afar who traveled a long distance to worship the newly born king of the Jews. Right. So who was this so, king? Yeah. So you had a wannabe Jew, you had a wannabe Jew pretending to be the king of the Jews, threatened by the true Jew who was the true king of the Jews. Yes. But the people of the city who hated him, they despised Herod. The Jews despised Herod. They knew he was a fake Jew. But they were troubled with him. It was like, we'll, we'll, we'll take Herod over the Messiah. Right, because they knew that if, if a Messiah or a king did rise up, there would be trouble. There would be commotion. There would be you know, 
fights. There'd be riots. There'd be everything that goes. Some people don't want the Messiah, Rick. Some people don't want the king to return. Some people don't want Jesus to come back. That is true, and that's true among Christians. Yes. If Jesus came back, it would disturb a lot of believers, or so-called believers. And the same thing was happening in uh, in uh, around the birth of Jesus too. Yes. They had grown cu- sure. accustomed to Herod's evil. Uh, yes, uh, an evil Herod was was known. A a messianic king was unknown. Yes. We know what we're getting with Herod. We don't know what we're going to get with this Messiah. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So. The questions that were being asked, who is the king? Where was he born? When was he born? Will he overthrow Herod? Is a revolution brewing? So Herod's consternation was was understandable, and the people were thinking the same things. The imposter king feared the sudden appearance of a rival king. The true king. Although the rival king was an infant. You've got a grown man in a palace afraid of a baby. But why were Jerusalem's Jews troubled by the wonderful news that their savior had been born? Like I said, Herod they knew. A scoundrel, yes, but a known scoundrel. But what about this baby? What if he is the authentic king of the Jews? In their hearts, they had no desire to submit to God's kingdom. Mm. Wow. Here were Gentiles. Gentiles that were seeking the king of the Jews. And then the Jews themselves did not want the king. Precisely. And they didn't want him 30 years later when he began his ministry. They don't want him today. No. Oh, they want a kingdom. Oh, yes, definitely. They just don't want Jesus as king. Um, I don't know how I'm looking at our time here. Um, Doc, let's, uh, let's uh, read verses 4 through 6. Okay. Uh, So picking back up, verse 4, Matthew 2. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people, this is Herod doing this, uh, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, this is the prophet Micah, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So Herod went into action. He quickly convened an emergency meeting of Jerusalem's Jewish religious rulers. He asked them one question. In which city did the prophets say the Messiah would be born? And they said to him, uh, or should say, the words they said to him indicates that the chief priests were unanimous in their response. They all said at one time, Bethlehem. 
they they knew. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to say, "Well, boss, we got to go uh, over to the temple and read the prophecies and try to figure this out." No, King King Herod said, "Where will this Messiah be born?" And all the Jewish religious leaders said in one voice, "Bethlehem." They knew, and they quoted Micah. Yes. They informed Herod that Bethlehem would be the city that welcomes the king. So you would think that the Jewish theologians and priests and Pharisees would have broken out in singing and dancing. Finally, after centuries, God had fulfilled his promise to them. The son of David had been born in the city of David. But there was no dancing and there was no rejoicing. In fact, we don't see any jubilation at all among the Jews. No. Nothing. We, we, you don't see any excitement until you get to the uh, gospel according to Luke. Zechariah delivered his joyful prophecy spoken over his son, John the Baptist. And, and later when Simeon received uh, the infant Jesus in his arms at the child's presentation in the temple. Simeon uh, is described as righteous and devout. He had waited his whole life for the consolation of Israel. Anna, uh, the elderly widow who lived in the temple, spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption of Jerusalem. There were individual Jews who were waiting on the Messiah. And they were excited when they heard the news. But the Jewish religious rulers did not want to know anything about this Messiah. Right. So you had two groups of people here. You had Gentiles that were seeking the king of the Jews. And then you had Jews who were rejecting <laughs> the king of the Jews. And it was all based on what they believed about the word of God. Think about this. Yes. What they what each one of them believed about the word of God. The the Magi, the Gentile uh, scholars, believed the word, and the word took them to where the Messiah was in Bethlehem. The Jews, yes. the, the chief uh, chief priests and scribes, knew the word, knew it was true, but did not believe. And they yes, did so not go to Bethlehem. The, the upper echelon of Judaism rejected the, the uh, pronouncement that the king of the Jews had been born. They showed no interest in knowing whether he'd been born. But on the street level, there were Jews such as Zechariah and Simeon and Anna who had been waiting all their lives for the Messiah to appear. Why? They believed the word. They, they believed the word. They didn't just God know always has God always has a remnant among his people who believe and hold fast to his promises. Yes. So Zechariah, Simeon, and Anna represented the best of the Jewish remnant living in Jerusalem 
anticipating the arrival of their king when the Magi arrived seeking the whereabouts of the king of the Jews. Today, there are over a billion people on earth who identify as Christians. How many are eagerly anticipating the second advent of Jesus Christ? How many Christians look at the eastern sky each day and ask God, will he come back today? See, the same complacency is in the church today that was in the Jewish synagogue 2,000 years ago. Right. Although, go ahead, Doc. No, I'm just sitting here thinking it's all a matter of allegiances. The scribes and Pharisees did not have an allegiance to the king of the Jews, but to the wannabe king of the Jews. Yes. They, They feared Herod. And they answered him, but they feared him. They didn't like him. They didn't trust him. And yet they had an allegiance to him. Yes. So, although Judaism's guardians knew precisely where the Messiah would be born. They missed it. And they also knew Balaam's prophecy that a star would come forth from Jacob. They missed it. None of the high-minded Jewish theologians bothered to escort the Magi to Bethlehem. Think about that. These royal, mysterious visitors from Persia show up asking, where is the king of the Jews? We have seen his star. The rulers of Judaism knew the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. They knew a star shall arise from Jacob. And yet not one of them bothered to go with the Magi to Bethlehem. At a minimum, you would think that they would have sent some interns with the Magi to observe the activities of these wise men. All Jerusalem should have led the Magi on the short trip to Bethlehem, but none went there. The Gentile wise men traveled from afar over many months, perhaps a a year, but the Jews wouldn't make a six-mile trip to Bethlehem to see their king. And that's what religion will do to you. It will dry out your soul. Oh, and something else I just thought about here, Rick, in verse 4, when Herod... He demanded of them where Christ should be born. Now, the Magi had not mentioned anything about Messiah or Christ or anything. They had only said, they had only spoke about a king. But when Herod drilled the priest and the scribes, he asked where the Messiah would be born. And so this isn't just a matter of you know, a, a challenge of a, of a king that would usurp Herod's throne. No, Herod knew what this meant. Think about, oh, man. Herod knew what this meant, that this was yeah. the Messiah. So, Doc, what you just brought out confirms what I've been saying for several years. 
They knew he was the Messiah. They knew he was the Messiah. Oh, man. They crucified him knowing he was the Messiah. They knew he was the Messiah from his birth. Wow. Hey, I think I'm going to stop here. And tomorrow I'll pick up. I want to talk about um, the connection between uh, Matthew 2 and Micah chapter 5. Okay. And I, I, I don't have enough time to go into it right now. So we'll, we'll, we'll begin tomorrow's lesson uh, with Micah 5. So we'll wrap it up for today, Doc. All right. And what a great lesson today. I, I'm, I'm just sitting here, been taking notes on this because even though I prepared, we saw other things today that I hadn't seen before. And uh, just well, leave- Doc, you've, yeah, you've taught me things I didn't see. It's that's that's why I like this this class format that we're both um, sharpening each other and we're seeing things uh, that the other didn't see. And I hope it's I hope it's a blessing to everybody out there who's watching right now. Uh, and, and the one- your, when you say there's there's revelation that shows up in morning manna. Yes. That we didn't see before we started the class. Right. <laughs> like this idea, uh, they they rejected not just their king, but their Messiah. Knowing he was the Messiah. I mean, it almost makes you want to cry. Because how many people are doing that today? Yes. So, anyway. Well, before I start weeping here... <laughs> um, Hey, the only thing I can the only thing I I can control is myself and I can recognize him as the Messiah and wait on him. Yes. And he's my I can't make anybody else believe in him and wait on him. But I can do that for myself. Yes. And he's my king right now. The king of the Jews is my king. If when he comes back, there will be at least one person waiting on him. (laughs) <laughs> well hopefully because too. If, every, <laughs> if everybody forsakes him i'm not gonna forsake him i'm waiting on him i'm eager i desire him and and i let him know that when you come back if, if everybody else forsakes you lord i'm still going to be here waiting on you hallelujah you are my king born a king yes born a king Hallelujah. Well, and I can see right now there's 354 people agreeing with me. Yes, I will be waiting on him, too. Amen. Glory to God. And, and online with the expanded version of this Bible class later today, there will be thousands of people saying, yes, I will be waiting on him, too. Amen. Well, we had uh, 18 countries joining us today, Rick. As you mentioned, uh, about uh, more than 350 people joining us. We appreciate you coming here every day and joining us live on Morning Manna and uh, with this live Bible study, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, each and every tomorrow's a, Doc, don't forget, tomorrow's a Holy Communion. Yes, I was going to mention that. And so yeah. be prepared with uh, bread and either uh, grape juice or red wine to join us for communion tomorrow. If you're a confessing baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to participate. In fact, we invite you to participate in this uh, fellowship of saints from around the world. And I want to remind you, you can always, if you're listening to us on the live stream in the afternoons, 
you can always listen to the replay later on in case you missed something in the uh, Bible study today. You can go back and listen. And uh, uh, every day I also post the chat for people to go through and look through and read. I'd post that on Faith and Values. And that way you can see some of the comments that people are expressing as well. As Rick said, we need to get uh, prepared for other activities today, including True News. Any final words before we depart no, from Rick? No. Be blessed. Have a wonderful day. Amen. We love you very, very much, and we invite you back here tomorrow. Be sure to join us for communion tomorrow as well on Friday. God bless you. We love you, and we'll see you then. God's people are smarter than ants. Even ants know it's wise to store food. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. I'm Dr. Robert A. Schuler, and I'm on a mission to encourage Christian families to prepare for tough times. That's why I'm endorsing American Reserves. American Reserves can help you build a food storehouse like Joseph in Egypt. American Reserves offers emergency food packages for a month or full year, buckets of freeze-dried beef and chicken, assorted vegetables and fruits, and powdered eggs are ready for quick delivery. A panic can cause store shelves to be emptied in hours. Be wise. Be ready. Order food at AmericanReserves.com. Be wise. Be ready. American Reserves. And uh, as Rick mentioned earlier in the Godcast today, that special is still going on uh, at, it's at least through the end of this week, where if you uh, buy one side bucket and get another side bucket for 50% off. And so and there's no limit on the number of side buckets that you can uh, get on the special offer. So go to AmericanReserves.com and take advantage of this special offer right now. Also check out all the other uh, preparedness products that are available, including uh, several new additions of the water filter and uh, other updates are coming along. There's a whole bunch of new products that are going to be rolling out over the next few weeks. We're excited to be sharing those here with you very, very soon. On behalf of Rick Wiles and the entire True News team, we want to say we love you. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you on the next edition of True News. listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter.